Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. He's Lance Meadow. I am John Schmelk. The phone number is 201-939-4513. You might be wondering why Paul Dottino's not here. Well, we had to put him in a straight jacket. He was just too excited, and we, <laughs> frankly, he was annoying the crap out of us. So, Paul's gone. He'll be no back. No different than any other yeah, day, Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. well, he, 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 he's a little extra annoying. When, when camp's about to get going. But there is excitement in the air, all jokes aside. Uh, the rookies have been here for a couple of days. The veterans arriving in the building today. We had our first series of media availabilities a little bit earlier on with Pat Shermer, Eli Manning, Alec Ogletree, Michael Thomas, Sterling Shepard, and Nate Solder. We could talk about those, but first practice is tomorrow, Lance, and you know we've been kind of waiting for this season to start. Uh, since the draft, really, and this is kind of the unofficial start of the 2019 season. Yeah, rookies have been here for a few days, as well as some select veterans, but today, John, is really the first day that you got the whole team together, and tomorrow they'll be on the practice field, and they'll put the pads on little by little, and they'll get to a point where the physicality will increase, and now they're going to have an opportunity to separate themselves from the rest of the pack, specifically players that are on the bubble fighting for roster spots, and, and this is when I think we can at least pay a little bit closer attention to who is going to emerge. The combination of what we see in practice as well as the preseason is going to say a lot about what will become of this roster, but I think the coaching staff is excited. You know, we've seen a lot of these guys on the field during the offseason program, but you know, we've been telling you time and time again, there's only so much you can take away from that. Now, we're going to see them in roles that will determine whether or not they deserve a spot on the 53-man roster. And I think that there is some intriguing competitions across the board, John. Things to watch we've been talking about offseason, and now it'll finally come to fruition. So I think it's exciting, at least from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into all that, and we'll take your calls at 201-939-4513. Get on the line. Send in your tweets as well, as well at hashtag GiantsChat. We'll talk with you that way as well over the course of the program. And we'll give, kind of give you our little preview of training camp as well. I'll have my story up on Giants.com right now, uh, giving my five things that I'm keeping an eye on over the course of training camp. But, Lance, let's talk first about what was spoken about today, a media availability. Uh, head coach Pat Shermer let it off. And a lot of Daniel Jones questions for him, how they're going to handle it. And nothing really new or chattering because really nothing's happened since – the last time Coach Shermer spoke to the media on the final day of the, of the last OTA open to the media, not much has happened between now and then. So there's not really any new news. So it was a lot of rehashing of of kind of where where they were then. It's pretty much the same place they are now. So basically he said that they are going to you know do a lot of work on getting Daniel Jones ready to play. Eli Manning will start as the starting quarterback um, in camp. They asked specifically whether or not Daniel Jones would get reps with the ones or what the plan was. He said, we'll see how that unfurls. He didn't want to tip his cap on that at all. And just that he likes the group and, and he feels good about things coming together and, and the team being better than they were last year. I think two other things that jumped out to me, John, Darius Slayton on the injury front uh, tweaked his hamstring a day ago. So he's going to be at least uh, slow coming back onto the field. And also, I think what's encouraging is Nate Solder and Mike Remmers, they do not anticipate them starting on the pup list. And both of those guys had been sidelined during the offseason program. Remmers recovering from his injury. Solder had offseason surgery. So I think that's also a positive development that they'll be immediately thrown into the mix as opposed to being spectators right from the go. Yeah, 100%. That always helps. And Pat Shermer wouldn't tip his cap that anybody was going to start on PUP. No one jumps out at me as a potential pup player to start camp, which would be nice. Usually you, you, you at least have one guy on camp, on pup to start camp that you're waiting to come back. 
but they might not have anybody this year. And we'll see. The conditioning test gets run at 3 o'clock today, and we'll find out whether or not everybody's ready to go or not once they, you know, get through that conditioning test. And, you know, getting back to what you said in, in terms of, of Shermer and Slayton, it's a shame because, look, it's a, first of all, it's a hamstring, which are tricky. For wide receivers, they're trickier. Yep. For wide receivers that rely on their speed, they're trickiest. And that's Darius Slayton checks all those boxes. So we'll see how long it takes him to get back. Pat Shermer did not indicate he thought it was very serious. But it's still a hamstring. It's still a wide receiver. You know, it's 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 got to be at least a week, I would think, before they let him do anything because they don't want him to re-injure it. They want to be able to get him out there and do his thing. We'll see. No timetable has been provided. That is simply me speculating. I could be wrong. But you always got to be careful, especially a rookie wide receiver who needs all the reps he can get. This certainly gives a leg up, I think, to the other guys who are competing with Slayton for that third wide receiver spot, given they stay healthy. Well, and even also from a special teams perspective too, John, because Slayton's in the mix on that end as well. So yeah, to your point, it gives somebody an opportunity to step up. But if you're the Giants, no, you're not going to rush him back on the field. If you remember when Odell Beckham was a rookie, you know he wound up missing the first four games. And once again, I'm not bringing this up as a comparison that that's going to be a similar timeline, but they have other examples of how sometimes it's worth taking it slow. I remember you know, Trendon Holiday, the training camp that he was here. You could giggle all you want like a little schoolgirl, John, but I'm going to bring him up anyway. He had a hamstring injury, and he was sidelined the entire <laughs> camp, essentially. He never got on the field. And, you know, I know there was some excitement, at least for myself, about him maybe having an opportunity to contribute on special teams, and they ultimately parted ways with him. Why? Because he couldn't get on the field. So Didn't he try to come back, and then he retweaked it again? If I, I remember, you right. may be right. From what I remember, I don't even remember him even getting on the field much of any. I remember him getting on the field, tweaking the hamstring, and then essentially that was it. No, I think he shut down. I think he tried to come back after the regular season started, maybe, or at the end of camp, and he'd gotten to one practice, retweaked it, and then he was done. You may be right. I will tell you this. I, I vaguely remember something like well, that. I could be wrong, though. I don't remember him getting it all into a preseason game. No, he did not. So he did if not. he tweaked no. it, it was maybe a practice that he came back to. You may be oh. right. But it was very early in training camp that he had the hamstring issue, and then it just lingered and lingered and lingered. So this is not to say that Slayton's headed in that direction. The point that we're emphasizing is you don't rush hamstring injuries, especially when it comes to wide receivers, because once the hamstring goes, you're going to be extremely limited. And they feel good about Slayton and what he could bring to the table John, because I think he brings something a little bit different than what the rest of the receiving core does. It's more of a reason why you want to expose him early on and get him out there. Going on to the other guys that spoke today, Nate Solder, not a whole lot, which is kind of his modus operandi. We'll talk. Really nice <laughs> yeah. guy. Really friendly. I love Nate, but he's just not a guy that's going to give you a lot Man, of dynamic very few words. Um, talked about how they asked him why he thinks or how the offensive lineman line can get started a little bit faster this year. And he goes, look, it starts now. And that's what training camp's about. And, you know, they have to come out of the gates and, and play better right off the bat. And that's going to be based on what happens at camp. But I think, you know, he's not going to start on PUP like you mentioned. Neither will Remmers. So both starting offensive tackles will be in place. Zeitler at right guard. Uh, perhaps a new starting center if Jalapio's back in there. Uh, him and Pulley were rotating in the spring. We'll see how that goes. So those are the things that I'm kind of keeping an eye on um, on the offensive line. And I think... It's a group that can be a lot better this year, assuming that they have health on their side. Well, that's the key, I think, for every single team. You know, we talk about this every year. You can never predict the injury bug, John. And if things hold up for the Giants, that certainly is going to put them in much better position than most teams in the NFL. The teams that survive and get through the season are not necessarily always the best-looking teams on paper, but it's the teams that can overcome 
the generic hurdles that you see over the course of a year. And injuries is a hurdle that everybody has to deal with at some point. So the question is, can you absorb the injury and overcome it? Meaning you have somebody on the depth chart or are you noticeable on your depth chart that there's such a drop-off that you just can't survive? You know, the Eagles, I think... If you go back and look at their Super Bowl run, they were hit with injuries across the board at just about every key integral position, whether it be left tackle, running back, kicker, quarterback. And why did they manage to get into the playoffs and ride that all the way to the Super Bowl? Well, they did a good job absorbing those injuries. And and most of the teams that have gone on to Super Bowl runs have been able to do a good job in that department. And I think the Giants right now are trying to set themselves up, John, especially with the training camp battles as we look forward to it that they feel good about the fourth and the fifth individuals behind the main starters, especially the offensive line that you were just talking about. Because case in point, if Chad Wheeler does not hold off Mike Remmers and Wheeler makes the team, well, now you have a starter from last season, John, as a potential backup if he can solidify a spot on the 53. Whoever loses out in the center spot, Jalapio or Pulley, has a good chance of making the team as the sixth or the seventh offensive lineman. Okay, there's another guy with starting experience. If the Giants walk away with three backup offensive linemen who had starting experience, I think you feel good about what you're working with behind the regular five. And that'll be a competition at center between Poli and Jalapio. And of course, we'll see if Remmers um, plays well enough to, to, to keep Wheeler on the bench. I think the expectation is that if Remmers is healthy, he'll do that, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the other guys that spoke today, let's say on offense, Sterling Shepard, they tried to get him to talk about his expectations from a personal standpoint in terms of numbers and stats. He kept referencing back, guys, look, I just want the team to play better and win games. Uh, he still thinks this team has enough playmakers to be a dynamic offense. And, and I think the question for me, Lance, when it comes to the wide receivers is who will be that consistent downfield threat from the wide receiver position. I feel good about Saquon Barkley being a mismatch, you know, if they can get him matched up on linebackers and things like that. I feel good about Evan Ingram being a mismatch player. But which one of these wide receivers can just use speed on the perimeter, stretch the ball, and stretch the field, catch some deep passes, and make big plays on offense, which is something the Giants in the second half of last year, they made a lot of big plays on offense. They did. Well, and that's why... When we were talking about Slade and John, he's one guy that comes to mind because I think he answers the call that you're referring to. I think Corey Coleman has potential to stretch the field. I wouldn't rule him out as we continue to see what he could do with a full offseason under his belt. And, you know, even last year, John, if you go back, when Cody Latimer finally got healthy, remember, he spent the bulk of the year on IR, you know, they were targeting him down the field, and he showed some flashes here or there. Are they the same blistering type of speed that Slayton brings to the table? I don't know if I would go that far, but I think there's potential there to at least tap into it during the course of training camp and in the preseason games. But you're right. If there's anything right now that doesn't jump out at you is who's that vertical threat that can really stretch the defense. And I think that there's opportunities across the board. I'd even throw in Russell Shepard there, too. If you remember, the old Del Beckham touchdown, one of the two he threw. He threw the first one to Barkley against Carolina. The second one against the Bears was to Russell Shepard. Granted, Chicago completely forgot about him as he went from left to right. But guys have the ability if utilized in those ways to, I think, uh, spread their wings. So uh, that's going to be something certainly to watch. I like the depth at wide receiver. I think there's some names there that have experience. There's some unproven commodities. I think it should bode very well that whoever's going to be earning that fifth or maybe sixth spot if they keep six wide receivers, they're going to have to earn it. I mean, this is a very tough group to uh, stand out from because you have a number of guys that have been there and done it before. Defensively, the phrase of the day was easily... We have a chip on our shoulder. And it was kind of because of the way some of the questions were phrased, but 
the defense wants to come out, despite the fact they lost a lot of their big names midseason and then in the offseason, they want to come out and play a lot better this year. And, and I think the question is that who's going to step up to allow them to do it? And I think that's what you're counting on in this defense. There's only a hand, God, not even a handful, less than a handful of guys that you know what you're getting exactly, and they're kind of a, 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 a short a commodity, you know what I mean? Everyone else, you're hoping for improvement, you're hoping for guys to get better, and that's kind of where you're at when it comes to the defense. Who's going to step up? What cornerbacks, especially the young guys, are going to get better, going to play good football? What pass rusher is going to step up? Will be Marcus Golden regaining his 2016 form? Will it be Lorenzo Carter breaking out in year two? Will it be O'Shane Zimenez, who in his rookie year plays well as their third-round pick? So those are the questions that I think you ask yourselves looking at this defense, and I think they're confident. The question is, are the players going to be good enough for Betcher to call what he needs to call, and then are they all going to execute well enough for this defense to be good enough for the team to win games? Well, and it may take the first quarter of the season, John, for Betcher to have an idea of what you're talking about. Uh, they better right? not wait that long. Well, it's going to be trouble. I, I, you're right. It may be some trouble, but think about it. When you have young corners, and sometimes you have the ups and downs that young players go through, especially rookies, it's basically out of his control. It's going to be sort of touch and feel along the way until you get to a point where, all right, everybody's comfortable and I can put this guy in this position and I know he's going to be in the right spot and he can thrive. I think that opposite Janoris Jenkins, there's potential, there's upside, but there's unproven commodities. We're not telling you anything you don't know. You're relying on a handful of rookies at the cornerback spot. The good news is you have Antoine Bethea at the safety spot, so I think that should help counter some of the youth at the corner spot. And Jabril Peppers, who is still young, but he at least has had his fair share of reps in Cleveland over each of the last two seasons. I've said this time and time again over the entire offseason, I still think the pass rush and the ability to get after the quarterback, not necessarily the sack totals, John, is going to make or break this defense. I get it. Quarterbacks get rid of the football very quickly. I know we talked about that in great length with Sal Palantonio. That was one of his emphasis as to why maybe the Giants shouldn't be concerned about not having a lot of proven commodities in the pass rushing department, but you have to be able to get after the quarterback. It's no coincidence. The Kansas City Chiefs, John, as rough as their defense was last season, they were number one in sacks with the Steelers. And that was a big reason why they overcame their issues in the secondary because when they needed to close the door in games, they got after the quarterback, they brought him down, or they at least created a takeaway. So that's a nice security blanket. Time is going to tell whether or not the Giants are going to have reliable options, I think, in that department. Yeah, and look, guys are going to have to improve and get better, and it's not going to be a finished product right away. But uh, the other thing that I think there was a focus on both sides of the ball is making sure the team starts better. And they, look, we talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about the strength of the schedule, and I think it's essential, given what the first four games are and then what the schedule looks like after that. Of course, things can change. Guys get hurt. Who knows? But you better win a couple of those first four games. At least two, three would be nice. If you start off one and three here and you got to go to New England in week five, you're in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. So you have to come out of the gate quickly. I think it bodes well that the team and a lot of the players are in this system for a second consecutive year, which will hopefully help you out. I think last year that was one of the reasons for the slow start. They're always trying to figure everything out. And look, but guys, we can talk about all these different things, attitude, chip on the shoulder, play calls, all that sort of stuff. The, the players have to, to play well enough. They have to be good enough players on the field if you're going to win football games. And there's a lot of guys without a big proven track record, and some of them are going to have to step up and, and play better than they ever have before. And you know what? In the NFL, the way the salary cap is and how it's worn to the draft, that's what the deal is every year. It's, it's just the way it is. 
one hundred percent across the board. The Giants are not unique to what you're just talking no. about, John. Because of the setup of the rookie contract, four years, the fifth year option, you want to maximize the value of the contract. Well, in order to maximize it, rookies have to deliver. Second year players have to deliver. So if you use your point about the front seven, okay. You brought up O'Shea Zimenez. Okay, that's one X factor potentially. Another guy is the second-year player, Lorenzo Carter. There's two guys. If they have breakout years, John, if they have career <laughs> years, that's a, a huge step in the right direction for the Giants. And, and Carter showed some flashes late last season. Zimenez is making the transition from a smaller college program to the NFL. So that remains to be seen. And then Marcus Golden, who's much more of a proven commodity, but... He tore his ACL in 2017. Last year, he was trying to get back into the thick of things. Now that you're about two years removed, players usually fully recover. But do you get back to the level of 12 and a half sacks? He's got 19 career sacks. 12 and a half came in one season. So it's not as if outside of the 12 and a half season, he's had a number of years where he's put up monster consistent numbers. So, you know, there's a lot of questions, I think, across the board in that department. But yeah, you're right. If guys really come to play and they put up productive numbers week in and week out, who's to say that the Giants need one fifteen to 20 sack guy? No, you could do it in piecemeal. It could be a group effort. I just think it's a tall task and a tall order to ask for, and that remains to be seen. But I think also adds some intrigue to this defensive unit. Absolutely. All right, folks, let's get to it. I see a couple calls up. Let's fill up those lines at 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. We'll check out your tweets as well at hashtag Giants chat. Let's lead off today with Jerome down in Charlotte. He'll be our first caller on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hi, Jerome. Hey, guys. I love the show. Listen every day, even some of the reruns. I play it again during the weekend. Thank you, sir. We appreciate um, that. <laughs> My, uh, I have two quick questions. And one is, do you think Pat Sherman will play the line um, offensive line and the and the backs more than what they he did last year to give them more chemistry together maybe in the early up to early third um, quarter in the preseason game. No, and, I honestly, Jerome, I don't. Only because I think so many of the guys on this line now are veterans, and while they do need to play together, and I think they'll play, you know, the the normal amount for, for, for offensive linemen in the preseason. I don't think you have to go out there and play Mike Remmers, Kevin Zeitler, and Nate Solder, guys that have been in this league and taken a lot of snaps. They don't need extra preseason snaps. The work they'll get in practice is just as valuable as the work they'll get in these preseason games. Okay. Do you? Um, what about the rookies in the secondary? Would you think they um, get more uh, playing time? Um and that they rookies to get that experience on their belt or pretty much the same thing? Well, I think that the rookies in the secondary probably get a bit more than the offensive line, and I think it's basically default by numbers, Jerome. I mean, the nucleus of the cornerback room is all young guys, so if you don't play them in the preseason, who else are you playing? You're not going to give Janoris Jenkins all those snaps. So, yeah, Sam Beal, Corey Ballantyne. DeAndre Baker, I think that they may get a little bit more work, but I think it also depends on what the coaching staff sees in practice. If they are confident in what these guys are showing in practice, maybe they don't feel like they need to expose them to additional hits in the game. But the cornerback room is young across the board. Therefore, these young guys are going to get the bulk of the snaps in the preseason. Okay, uh, thank you um, for your time. I'll call 
again another day. You got it. Thank you, Jerome. Appreciate, appreciate you being so loyal to the program. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants chat. And Anson Wind, at Anson Windiest, uh, has a question relating to the cornerback position, so I thought this would be a good time to get to it. He says, I believe this is Jack Rabbit's last season in New York. I would predict they're planning on for Baker to be the future cornerback one, with Beal and Love as the future two and three. Well, Anson, I don't think it's guaranteed that this is Janoris Jenkins' final year with the team. I understand his contract. You know, things can change quickly. I get all that. But if he plays well, his number isn't so ridiculous that if he plays like a Pro Bowl caliber cornerback, it's not good value. So if he comes out and he plays well and he shows that he can still be a, a good cover guy, there's no reason to move on from him. It's not like they're going to be hurting for salary cap space next year when they need to, you know, add room. You know, that they have more than enough space next year with with how the contracts are structured. So that's not going to be a need. So I don't think that's a guarantee. Uh, do I believe, Lance, that they think Baker can become a number one cornerback? Absolutely. Do they think that Beal can become a starting cornerback? I think they certainly did. Otherwise, they wouldn't have picked him in the third round. Julian Love is interesting because I think Grant Haley really has an opportunity to, to put a stamp on that job. And I don't know if you've checked out on Giants.com. We have our Giants Life Series. Grant Haley is one of the guys that we're featuring this year. Um, so Corey Coleman is the other. So make sure you you look forward to that and, and, and check out what we've been doing on Giants.com with, with, uh, with the Giants life. But if Grant Haley can put his stamp in and, and grab that slot corner job, which I do think it'll be a great competition with Julian Love, there could be opportunities for Julian Love to play safety. And out there at rookie practice, he played safety a little bit. He was out there doing it the last couple of days. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. I certainly do believe that they think Baker, Beal, and Love will be staples and big contributors in some way, shape, or form in the secondary for years to come, and I'll leave it at that. Well, I'm with you at Love being a potential option at safety. I think also part of it is, John, the numbers game. If you think about maybe they decide they want to keep an extra corner and they don't have the luxury to keep as many safeties. If Love is a crossover player, he basically services both spots. Yeah, like if you keep Bethay, Peppers, and Michael Thomas, maybe you don't keep a fourth pure safety, but Love can be your sixth corner, and exactly. he can move over and play a little safety. Yeah, I mean, Sean Chandler's another guy that made the team last year, and he's got some competition. So, you know, he has potential to be maybe that fourth safety. But I think if the mathematics turn out elsewhere, you figure that, well, one guy could be our hybrid type of player. And certainly James Betcher takes full advantage of hybrid players. So love is interesting from that perspective. I'm with you. I think Grant Haley has become the overlooked corner for some wild reason. And and I think part well, of it is— undrafted free agent out of Penn State. Well, I get it. No, and I get it. The hype is surrounding the young players who were taken higher in the draft. But let's not forget, Haley has much more experience in this defense, though, John, whether he was undrafted or not, compared to all the rookies coming in. Because Haley played in the system last year. Haley thrived in the second half of the season. He did well. He earned— the coach's respect. So he's coming in to me. He's in the driver's seat. It's the job of the rookies to take the job away from him. All right, Lance. We have another caller. I got a bad feeling Lovely. about this. Hallelujah. Losing his A little mind. too early to my liking, <laughs> but what else is new? Right in Enough jokes. I am happy. You're not my I played that just for Lance, Charlie. You're welcome. Yeah. I, I knew you did. Wasted you 30 did. Sorry, seconds Lance. of programming. Oh, don't apologize to me. 16 I mean, seconds. If anything, I'm not blaming you for this. I'm blaming my co-partner here. <laughs> What's a co-partner, hey, I... by the way? Is that just a made-up word? What the yes. hell is a co-partner? 
Well, you don't deserve the respect of the proper label, so therefore <laughs> it's a conglomeration of two. Okay. I hope you're happy. I made it up just for you. Lance Lish, right? It's yes. not even English. Lance Lish. Indeed. What's up, hey, Charlie? Uh, yeah, hey, I, I, why is, uh, why is uh, Wesley on pulp? They didn't give him a reason. Is he Mr. Illness number three or what? Um, he was a guy that was banged up a little bit in the spring. I don't have the specific injury for you, Charlie. Has that been officially announced that he's on pop? I don't think so, right? Or am I wrong about that? Oh, I saw it yesterday uh, when the rookies came in. They said he was on pop. Oh, that's so right. No, you're right. You're right. They did. The Giants. No, you're right. They did. You're right about that. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering, you know, what the reason was. But anyway, and uh, we also had a couple of safeties in. Has uh, we heard anything about Trey Boston? Is he? Still around, or is he gone? Or uh, there is no, know, like there that? is no word on any of those reported players that were visiting here over the past couple of days. Something can happen. Who knows? Something might not happen. But uh, for my, nothing is imminent as far as I understand. But there could be stuff going on upstairs that I have no idea about. So there you go. All right. The other thing is like Slate's got a hamstring. John, will you give them some Annika? Nah. Get this guy on the field yeah. right That's away. That's exactly what they need. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my gosh. Hey, look, it happens, Charlie, and I think that's the risk when the guys first come back uh, for training camp, you know, and maybe, and again, I'm not, I don't know what Darius Slayton was doing over the course of the past six weeks, but maybe it takes some time for them to get back into it, and, you know, maybe you try to do a little bit too much too quickly, you know, you just don't know, or maybe it was just a freak thing. I mean, there really isn't any way to know why these things go down the way they do. And once again, I, I'm not saying that Giants fans care about what's going on across the league, but we're seeing injuries across the board. Uh, what the Giants are dealing with is not necessarily new. J.J. Wilcox, Falcon safety, went down with a torn ACL. Darius Geis in the yeah, Redskins, who, by the way, missed all of last season. He was nursing a hamstring injury all of a sudden. I missed that one. Did he hurt his hamstring? Yeah, uh, so, boy. you know, he's limited now, and they're obviously dying to get him back on the field. So They need him too, man. Of course. Ooh, in the worst I way. mean, they got Adrian Peterson, but they'd like to obviously get younger at the position because AP's not the answer long-term. So my point is, Charlie, you know, other teams are dealing with these things. Part of it is just you get back on the field after being away from the team, and you're not necessarily running through maybe the same routes and the same conditions that you do when you rejoin the team. and. Sometimes you go a little too hard, and accidents like this happen where you pull a hamstring and you tweak it. But the bottom line is they don't think it's serious, which I think is the most encouraging news. Well, I think that's good, but you know with hamstrings, you never know. Of course. Speed demon. Yep, 100%. You know, so, yeah, like you said earlier, uh, John. Hey, um, when is uh, when is really practice start really happening when they put the pads on and all that? Is that next week or no, is that I, this week? My guess is that we're going to get a fully padded practice in at some point this weekend, either Saturday or Sunday. I don't know that for sure. I asked somebody over the last couple of days. They did not have an answer for me. So I will try to get that for you guys as quickly as possible. But I believe it will be either Saturday or Sunday. Usually Thursday and Friday are ramp-up days. And then the on day three or four, the three or four, they will get into pads for the first time. Hey, I think it's uh, now that uh, Hamilton is, uh, off, you know, off the team, he's suspended. I think it looks really good for uh, Tony to lip lip it to uh, make this team make the fifty three. Well, so. Charlie, the thing about Hamilton, if he was going to make this team, it was going to be because of his ability on special teams as a gunner. That's where his greatest skill was. So. Uh, it better start doing stuff like that if he wants to be on this roster. Well, but see, here's the issue with Charlie. He doesn't even get the player right. It's Cameron Moore. 
It's not even Hamilton. Oh, it, is it? Oh, it's Calvin Moore. I mean, this, this oh, okay. is my problem with giving him an introduction. On Twitter. Do, do <laughs> you see what you do? Hamilton. You put him up on a pedestal. He butchers the name. He assigns the <laughs> wrong name to the punishable offense. And we're here breaking down the wrong player, thanks to him. Well, then you would make have, a good point. Uh, Mr. Siegel's on your show if that was the case. Well, yeah, but Jeff, <laughs> but Jeff doesn't have an intro though. But see that—that's the difference. We waste thirty precious seconds on introducing you, 16. so you can get. Uh, I'm gonna double it just for that, <laughs> just so that you can butcher the name of the player that is on the suspended list. So congratulations. Hey, Lance. Yeah. Lance, do you do you go to counseling? I think you might need some anger management. No, I'm perfectly fine. I'm. Do you see me angry? Listen, it's it's just me taking advantage of your phone call. It, it's all at your expense, Charlie. So don't 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 project this back on me here. Okay. But we, we always appreciate your phone call and butchering names. Don't you worry, Charlie. There will always be a place on this program for you. Uh, I, will, I will try to live up to that, Lance, every time I well, call. And I will, I will always be here with, a, with an Meadows. open ear thank to you, listen Lance to you. Meadows. Yes, thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right, that, uh, was, that, was, that was pretty funny. That, yeah. that was pretty well, good. I like what that. a comeback. That was pretty good. Huh. Only the thousandth person. Now, in all seriousness, no. And by the way, I, I didn't even hear him say suspended. That's why I didn't correct him. I just thought he said with, if Hamilton doesn't make the team, I didn't even hear him say suspended. Well, no, he, he definitely said yeah, suspended. No, I he believe said with you. Hamilton suspended. Yeah, I just didn't catch it. Well, I mean, listen, sometimes you got to tune him out. So I don't blame you. That maybe is a nice recovery on your part. But in, in all seriousness, if we take what Charlie said, where he says now that Tony Lippett has perhaps a better chance to make the team. Once again, I was talking about six to me is usually the magic number. And more, by the way, is more of a safety than a corner, too, by the way. Correct, so. exactly. Mm-hmm. But I'm going with his Hamilton theme mm-hmm. where he started. But if we look at the cornerback position, let's just look at Tony Lippett just from a hypothetical here. John, if you think that they're going to keep six corners. All right, well, you know, Jenkins is on the team. Baker's on the team. Okay. Uh, Beal. Beal's on the team. I mean, you got to imagine Julian Love's on the team if you're counting him. And yeah, okay. I'd be shocked if Grant Haley wasn't on the team. All right, team, so right? we're at five right there. Yeah, no, yeah, I'd say so. And then you and got Corey Ballantyne, who's a draft pick. Corey Ballantyne. You got Antonio Hamilton, yep. who is mm-hmm. not suspended. And a good special teamer. Correct. And then you have Tony Lippett. So it's going to be tough. It's not just one player that you're trying to remove from the equation. I think Lippitt's got to outplay a few. And Lippitt also, by the way, has to prove that he can hold up. You know, he's dealt with some injuries. Torticoli's a couple years ago. He's got familiarity because he was, you know, on the Miami Dolphins and there were a few players that knew him when he was brought in. But now it's it's, uh, certainly show-me time for him with respect to that. And, you know, the Cameron Moore situation when it comes to the safety position, John, you and I were talking about Julian Love, his versatility. If he could play both, you know, that makes it tougher, perhaps even a guy like Sean Chandler's chances of making the team. So it's going to be a numbers crunch, I think, from both perspectives, at corner and safety. 201-939-4513. Get on the lines, folks. We do have some open lines if you want to talk some Giants football. Don is in Texas. He's up next. Hey, Don. Hey, John. Hey, Lance. How are you guys? Doing great. What's up? And before I talk about the division with you guys, John, the last time, I wish I had a chance to speak to you a few weeks back when you had mentioned something with your daughter and she took an antibiotic for an ear infection and she was acting all wild. Take my number from your producer. I'll be happy to answer what was happening with that. Okay. All right. First, in the division, wide open, guys. I think it's going to be, it's one of those things, the NFC East is one of those divisions that it's always a soap opera. Last year, the Redskins were in first place before Alex Smith went down. Wentz, you don't know his injury. Cowboys, new offensive coordinator. I'm not saying the Giants are going to win the division at all, but it's wide open. That's the drama of the NFC East. The other thing I want to talk about is of all the competitions that are happening 
right now going into camp and all that good stuff, I think, to me, the most intriguing competition is going to happen all year long, and that's between Daniel Jones and Eli Manning. It's going to be a competition going all year long. I think Daniel Jones brings an extra element, too, in the fact that when Eli's there, his RPO, he can either hand it off or pass it. But Daniel Jones brings a third dimension that he can also take it to the house. He can also take off instead of just handing it off, passing it, and running himself. Your take, guys. Well, when you say competition, though, what are you referring to? I mean, clearly, they're going to be competing during the course of practice, but Eli Manning, the way it's structured in practice, keep in mind, Don, is the starting quarterback gets the bulk of the reps. If you're number two on the depth chart, which clearly Daniel Jones will be, you're going to have very, very few opportunities in practice. That's why I remember— I imagine Jones will probably run the scout team, would, would okay. be my guess. Well, but, but the bottom line is in terms of running the actual offense with his teammates, 100%. John, right? no, okay, he, so he's he going to get the defense ready yep. to figure out the quarterback that they're going up against. So w- when you bring up the term competition, I guess my point is, Don, I get your point from a big-picture perspective. I just don't think it's going to be experienced day in and day out based on how the logistics of practice play out. Oh, I agree with you on that. I'm just looking at Eli's never had this type of pressure on him with somebody who was drafted number six. Who's That's fair. Be looking over his shoulder. That's what I'm referring to. You know how New York is. The second he throws a couple bad interceptions, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get live. I completely agree with you. There's no competition going into week one. It's going to happen all year long if Eli starts playing you bad know, Don, or anything and, of that and, nature. And the funny thing, Don, I almost and, – and I'll let you finish. I almost feel like Eli's almost as much competing against himself as he's competing against Daniel Jones. Because, yes, I Daniel agree. Jones has to show that he's competent. That's 100% true. And to show that he's not going to, frankly, look like Kyle Oletta did in the quarter and a half of football he played last year when he goes in there. You don't want to put him in and put him through that when he's not ready. But whether or not Eli Manning plays well enough and whether or not the Giants win games is going to be – what determines if Daniel Jones gets on the field with the first-team offense. And that, to me, that's Eli competing to win games and playing well as much as it is him, you know, quote-unquote, competing with Daniel Jones. So I think it's Eli's job to, being, to be good enough and to win enough games to keep Jones off the field. I agree with you. And as far as... And, the- and Don, do me a favor, by the way, and, and, and thanks for the call. Send me a tweet, and I would like to hear your explanation. I appreciate it, bud. Thank you so much for weighing in. As far as the chatter, which is what Don alluded to, Mm -hmm. I've said this multiple times. Eli Manning has been listening to that, not saying he's been paying attention to it, but it's Well, Eli loves social media. He's on it all the time. He's got a huge presence. Tweeting, I mean, everything. Yeah, I mean, listen, Tom Brady finally got on Twitter. I don't know, maybe Eli Manning will eventually have to break out of his show. I know after his little Instagram controversy, Tom Brady might might regret getting on social media. What, the uh, jumping into the water with his daughter? Is that what has created controversy? Okay. I don't understand why, but that's a whole other thing. Well, it's been a thing. I don't want to get into it, but it's one of those things I just roll my eyes at. Like, people need to just. Well, of course. Oh, okay. I didn't know where you were going with it. Okay. I thought maybe you took offense to it. No, I I didn't take offense to anything. (laughs) I was like, what is going on? No. It's uh, just basically a reflection of today's society. But getting back to the point. Sorry about that. He's been listening to the chatter because the chatter has always been there ever since you had a few draft picks that have come in. Now, I think the last caller brought up a fair point. It's one thing to bring in Ryan Nassif. It's one thing to bring in Kyle Olette. It's another thing to bring in Daniel Jones. I'll give you that. But I don't think the conversation is going to change because every time Eli Manning in this offense has struggled over the last few years, there's always been the whispers 
Is the coaching staff going to look to make a change? If the game gets out of hand, John, are they going to put in another quarterback? We've always had that conversation. We've always heard that. The media headlines have dictated that. So I don't see the pulse of the conversation changing that dramatically, even if the Giants have a sixth overall pick in-house. I just, I, I, I don't see it dramatically, you know, switching gears because I think Eli Manning has always realized, hey, when you're up there as a veteran, you're always put under a microscope because you're not a youngster anymore and a team is always looking to get younger. A team is always looking to improve in that position. You could certainly argue maybe he feels it a little bit more because of how high they selected Daniel Jones, but I think the noise is absolutely the same. As far as his point about the division, I'm going to say it again until... You guys get tired of hearing it. Nobody's won back-to-back division titles since the Eagles won four in a row in the early 2000s. There are two so. things we need to happen. <laughs> that and for the Giants who draft the linebacker in the yes, first round. Those are go. the two things we really need to happen to just shut you up. Carl Banks, 1984, last linebacker that the Giants have taken in the first round, and then this divisional stat. Until things change, I'm going to keep bringing it to the forefront. But there's always going to be the land of the unknown in this division because it's been very hard to duplicate success. Now, I, I think we've had these conversations with various hosts on Big Blue Kickoff Live. The Eagles and the Cowboys, to me, are bringing back the nucleus of their rosters, John. Mm-hmm. And they made the playoffs last year. I think if you want to play the paper game, it's understandable that those two teams should be in the driver's seat. But the Giants and the Redskins, even though they didn't make the playoffs, does not mean that turnarounds or competitiveness is not capable this season. I think you know Washington was in the driver's seat leading up to the midway point last season, and unfortunately decimated by injuries. And I know the caller referenced Alex Smith. Alex Smith's injury does not tell the whole story. They also lost... Offensive line injuries. It was numerous injuries. So Alex Smith was a key piece, not the only piece. And the Giants, new coaching staff, a lot of new personnel, a lot of change across the board. So can they make strides in year number two? Can the Redskins provide some stability at the offensive line, as well as whoever plays quarterback for them. I think that's going to determine how competitive Washington can be. But I will say this. Washington's defense is legit. Mm-hmm. I would not sleep on the Redskins' defense. That team can make noise with that defense alone. And as far as the Giants are concerned, I think at least on the surface, if the offense comes to play, that will put them in a good position, maybe while the defense needs a game or two to get a good feel for one another. All right, I didn't tell you we are going to do this, but load up your NFC East depth charts. And we're going to play a little division game after we take Antonio sure. Manhattan, Absolutely. who is up next. Antonio, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? How you guys doing? Doing great, Antonio. Doing what's up? Um, I got a couple of questions. First question is, in the nickel, uh, do the Giants run two linebackers, two middle linebackers in, in, their nickel defense, in their nickel defense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, their general nickel is a four-two-five, so four down linemen. And the two outside down linemen are usually... You know, one of their outside linebackers, or both outside linebackers in their 3 4 set. And then they'll have two linebackers in the middle of the field. One is Alec Ogletree, the other one is a TBD. Uh, that's also a situation where they might be able to slide Jabril Peppers down and play one of those spots, too, by the way. And then, I would love to see that. And then in the yeah, secondary, you have two safeties and, and three cornerbacks. So right now, would, is Goodson projected to play that TBD? Right now, it's either Goodson or Tay Davis. Those are the two guys that were rotating in that spot. And frankly, Tay Davis was getting more reps in that nickel spot with the ones than Goodson did in the spring. Gotcha. I mean, so that's that's my number one concern is just having kind of like a athletic linebacker, you know, in the zone. I think Goodson. I mean, not Goodson. Uh, what's the other linebacker? Are Tay Davis? Starting? No, no, the Ogletree. other one. Uh, Ogletree. 
Ogletree, Ogletree does a great job in the zone. I believe he had so many turnovers last year. Um, and I think that's, that's our question right now, man, because I know that Fetcher wants to play a lot of man. It's to see if these linebackers can keep up, man, with some of these tight ends and sometimes some of these running backs. Because, uh, you know, it's not going to be always. Sometimes um, our strong safety is going to have to take care of the running back, and then our linebacker is going to have to take care of, of the tight end, and we got to see what they do. Um, and then my, my thing is I'm not too worried about sacks. I'm more worried about takeaways. I want to see the Giants just kind of step up their takeaways. You know, we, we had 21 last year, but I want to see them, you know, get in that upper 20, 25 or 30. That's, that's, that's a playoff team right there when we're talking about when you're going up, up in the takeaways. And, you know, hopefully with all these different corners, you know, we have so many unproven commodities, but something has to hit for the Giants. You know, we do have to have these, these unknown guys that come in and, and, and steal it for the show. Because it's happening in Indiana. They had, the, you know, the linebacker came in and, and he took over for that. You know, so everybody you have these guys who are just coming up and, and and taking over. And we just need to find the diamond in the rough that Victor Cruz, we need to find him one more time. And that's pretty much it, guys. Have a good one. Thank All you. Right, Appreciate the call, Antonio. Good stuff, man. Well, and that goes back to the conversation we had earlier about multiple guys needing career years or a rookie needing to break out. His point about takeaways, if you look at last season, John, the Bears led the NFL. They had 36 takeaways, and they had a plus 12 turnover differential. And the reason why I bring up that second number, to Antonio's point, you could have takeaways, but if you're also turning the ball over, they counter one another. So It's all it, about the differential. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it's not so much the takeaways. Now, the Giants finished with a plus 2 turnover differential, which is not terrible. It, it wasn't necessarily on the high side of the league sort by that I want to see what where they ranked in terms of ratio I believe they were probably around 12 or 13 they finished tied for 13 13th yeah okay mm-hmm. with the Indianapolis Colts who did make the playoffs with that last week win over the Tennessee Titans well you want to talk about how important it is why don't you go through the teams at the top of that list and we'll talk about which ones made the playoffs and which ones didn't in terms of turnover differential uh-huh. you're referring to all right well Seattle was in yep Houston was in Chicago was in, the Rams were in, the Patriots were in, the Chiefs were in, the Saints were in, the Browns were not, the Broncos weren't, the Redskins weren't, Miami wasn't, Dallas was in, and that then takes us up to the Giants, and Indianapolis was in. So all top seven teams in turnover differential made the playoffs. Yeah, and nine of the top 13, if you want to put it that way, in the NFL last season, based on turnover differential. Now, in terms of takeaways... If you want to just look at that number, and this is where you get into a mix of teams. For example, Denver had 28 takeaways, but did not make the playoffs. Miami. Miami. Cleveland had 31 takeaways, and they even had a plus 7 turnover differential. Buffalo with 27. They did not make the playoffs. So it's about the differential. It isn't necessarily about the takeaways. Correct. You got to look at both of those numbers. And the way I look at it, Lance, and I know I've said this before, and, and I don't know. To me... When it comes to takeaways, it's a lot easier to control how many turnovers you have than it is than it is to control how many takeaways you get. I feel like takeaways are very often taking advantage of mistakes by the other team. Now, you have to be good enough to take advantage of those mistakes or maybe be good enough to force a mistake. But the bottom line is that the other team still has to make a mistake. If the other team makes the right play, guess what? You're not going to get a takeaway. So you're very dependent on how the other team you're playing happens to be doing on that particular day and the players on the field and how good they are. So to me, the best thing you can do as a team is control how many times you turn it over, which is very much under your control, and hope you catch some breaks with takeaways because a lot of time, it's luck. 
Remember, Stevie Brown had that one season where he went off with all the interceptions, and we didn't necessarily see that again. So, I mean, that to me is a prime example. Some guys, just perfect place, perfect time, it adds up. But I just don't know if it's a reliable statistic. That That's why I sort of shy away from that. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, there are defensive coordinators, John, who scheme to create takeaways. And I, and I think there is validity behind that. But to your point, even if your scheme calls for takeaways— you still are dependent on the offense making a mistake. Right. Your defense mm-hmm. could hit the guy with the ball in his hands, and you know what? He has it high and tight, John, and he holds on to the football, and you don't create the takeaway. So even if your scheme calls for them, you still need the offense to sort of cooperate. You can play a perfect coverage, undercut the wide receiver route, be in position to make a play, but the quarterback's too smart and doesn't make that throw, you're not going to get the pick, even though you did the exact right thing. The other thing that I wanted to throw out based on the last caller about personnel and specifically in the nickel defense, we were talking about Grant Haley, Julian Love as slot options. I also think Michael Thomas should be considered in that. He played a little bit in the slot corner position. He could play safety. So the reason I bring that up, John, if you do move Jabril Peppers to linebacker in the nickel, you could always move Michael Thomas into a safety position if need be, and he has the opportunity to also play in the slot. So the numbers game and the alignment of who they utilize on defense I think is going to be dictated on guys like Love and Michael Thomas and how much versatility they believe those two guys in particular can bring to the table. All right, so this is the game I wanted to put with the NFC East. We're not going to take any calls the rest of the way, so we're just going to do our little breakdown here, and then we'll say goodbye on Big Blue Kickoff Live. So I broke down by position group. Quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, offensive line, then defense, interior line, edge rusher, linebacker, cornerback, safety. So that way there's five on each side of the field, right? We can even do special teams as a final category. And we'll rank the teams in the division one through four in each category. And we're going to see which teams come up with what totals. Now, it's an inexact science, obviously, because there are, you know, it's, you're doing it on a, on a static basis. Last year, I think we actually did pretty well. We had the Eagles at 27.5, the Cowboys at 25.5, the Giants at 23.5, and, and then the Redskins at 14.5 at, at the end of the chart. So that actually turned out to be how the division went for the most part. Um, the Redskins, of course, had all the injuries and stuff like that. They ended up with a better record, but you get my point. So let's go through it this year and kind of see where we land. And again, this is simply based on projections. Guys can outplay where we think they are, and that'll change the formula really fast with something like this. I did this with Paul last year. Excited to do it with Lance this year. All right, of the quarterback situations in the division, which would, is your most preferable? I think it has to be Wentz, right? Even with the injury issues? Yeah, I probably would go with Philadelphia. Also, because I'm pretty high on Nate Sudfeld as being a reliable backup, even though he's only shown a few flashes. I feel a lot better about their scenario than perhaps something else. Yeah, I hate the Cowboys backup situation, and I think you feel good about Daniel Jones. So how about we do the Giants and Cowboys tied at two and a half? That's fair. Tied in second. You like that? And then the Redskins get one because their position's obviously in flux. Running back. This is interesting. Saquon Ezekiel Elliott. Now, the Giants have more depth in that spot. So I think maybe put the Giants and give them a four-pointer for that. I'll give the Giants the first spot. But hold on. What about the Eagles before we... You know, speaking of depth, I mean, Philly's got a number of options. Yeah, but they don't, have, but they don't have a Saquon or an Ezekiel Okay, Elliott. and that's fair. So if, if that's our logic, then Giants won... 
Cowboys two, then I'd put the Eagles three, I'd put the Redskins last because okay. I think there's a lot of question marks behind Adrian Peterson from a health standpoint right now. So you would definitely put the Eagles ahead of the Redskins, yeah, even because, though they have Geis and Peterson, who might be preferable to anybody on the Eagles roster. Well, because I'm looking at it also in terms of Philadelphia, Jordan Howard, Corey yeah, Clement. They do have Jordan Howard. That's fair. I mean, they, they have options. I forgot they, about you know, They may not be flashy options, but they've got reliable guys. All right, now let's talk wide receivers. This is where it gets interesting. Uh, the Giants have Shepard and Tate. Uh, the Cowboys have Amari Cooper and Gallup. And Randall Cobb. And Randall Cobb. Forgot about him. Thank you. The Eagles are running out Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar. So this is a tight one. This is this is going to be a tough one to rank. Which wide receiver group do you like the most? Uh, well, we can start easy. The Redskins have the worst of the four. Yeah, well, the Redskins have the most question marks. Health yes. and production. Correct. So, by default, they go forth. Correct. Yeah, the rest of it is pretty tough. I would lean probably towards Philadelphia as one. I would I would head there. I, I like the options in Philadelphia. I like the youth. I like the veteran presence they have. I also like the fact that when you look at their receiving core, John, you have a vertical threat. You've got a possession receiver. I, I like the mix that they have. And they have a young guy in Arcega Whiteside as well. So I, I may lean towards Philadelphia okay. I'm okay in with that. that department. Now, Giants and Dallas are close. They are. They're, they're very close. I think if I was to rank them, I think Cooper would be the first guy I would take. But then my next two, or maybe my next two would be Giants, would be Shepard and Tate. And then, and maybe, then Cobb would probably be fourth, right? Yeah. And, and then, you know. And Michael Gallup, who had a nice second half of the season, still young. I'm willing to make this a draw. Yeah, I, I would I would probably lean a little bit more towards Dallas, but I could settle for a draw. All right, we'll do draw here. Tight ends. I think Philly again. Philly's got a one-two punch. Can't argue with it. Yeah. And then I think Evan Ingram, he's the next best tight end in the division. And Red Ellison's real solid too. I think Giants have got to be second here. I mean, Redskins do have Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis. The problem is the health department would downgrade them. But then again, Evan Ingram's been banged up too. I'm just throwing out a case for, if you're looking at the experience side of things, Washington's got the experience, John. The problem is it's just a wild card in terms of who's going to stay on the field. I think Reed's health scares me a little bit. Well, it should. So I'm going to go then Redskins 2, and then I'm going to go Redskins 3, rather, and I'm going to go Dallas last simply because we don't know how much Witten has left. Jarwin had one game at the yeah, end of the year. Yeah, all those guys are young. They're big question marks. And unproven. That's fair. Fair? Yeah. Offensive line. This is another one that I think is really interesting. But I think all four teams actually have pretty good offensive lines they now. Do. They have good lines across the board. I hesitate to, to put Dallas at the top of this list where they've been for a very long time because a lot of the um, question marks you've talked about, Travis Frederick is apparently going to start in camp. He's not going to go on pup, which is a good news for him coming back from that weird syndrome Huge or disease news, yeah. he has, whatever it is. Uh, but Tyron Smith's hurt a lot. Leo Collins hasn't proven himself. What's going on in the left guard? You know, there are a lot of question marks there. Then you have the Eagles. Their guards maybe aren't great. Jason Peters is getting older. Kelsey and Lane Johnson are both really good. Uh, the Redskins went healthy. They have really good offensive linemen. Lance, uh, Brandon Scherf's a good player. The problem is that Trent Williams holding out. So that means Eric Flowers is over there. Morgan Moses is a good right tackle. And then you have the Giants who are much improved. They had a Pro Bowl caliber guard in, in Zeitler. You have Solder and Remmers, who are veterans. Will Hernandez, a second-year guy coming on. So uh, this is another real tough one to me, much like the wide receivers. I'd put Philly 1. The reason I'd also put Philly 1 is when you draft a guy in the first round and he may not even play. Uh, Dillard's I, a good point. I think you're in a very good position, John. 
from a depth perspective, I don't think anybody else, I don't think Dallas has that sixth, seventh offensive lineman that they feel good right now. Even though they did draft and they addressed the position over the last few seasons, you know, that both Connors are relatively young still. So I'd still give Philadelphia the edge. And then I'd probably go in the direction of Dallas too. Dallas too. Yeah, because see, here's the thing. Despite the fact that Dallas may have questions, they've done it longer than the Giants. Okay? So uh, you, you go with Dallas, and, and then it becomes interesting. If because Trent Williams wasn't holding out, I could see going Washington. But with him not being there and Eric Flowers playing left tackle, sorry. Well, can't do it. But here's the thing. I think personally, I think they're going to go Jaron Christian, the third-round pick from last year out of Louisville, John. Wow. I think they slide him in. I'm not they saying could. that that makes you feel any better. They could. And then I think they leave Flowers at left guard. I don't even know if they're going to move Flowers to left tackle. You might be right about that. So let's just put Christian and Flowers next to each other. Plus, Chase Roulier is still a very, relatively young center. Yeah. Let's not forget about that. So we'll go Giants, Giants have more third, veterans. Redskins fourth? Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. And we agree. And so far, just just offense now right now, real quick. The, Red, the Eagles have ranked 18 out of a possible 20 points. So they have cleaned up on the offensive side of the ball. The Cowboys rank 5, 8, 9, 12 out of possible 20 points. The Redskins just 6 out of a possible. It's understandable. We knew their offense was, was, was a struggle, so that, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the Giants come in at 14 out of a possible 20 points. So, right now, Eagles 1, Giants 2, Cowboys 3, and Redskins 4. So, And it's holding up to the paper department, which mm-hmm. is what we were talking about, because you got those two teams that made the playoffs last year and bring back the nucleus of their squad. So, when you take that into consideration, I don't think it's a stunner that you know most people would project them to be the front runners heading into 2019. Absolutely. No question about it. And it should be a division, like we talked about, that is extremely competitive and, frankly, a lot of fun. And then when you take a look at the defensive side of the ball, um, we'll talk about it. And it's tough with the different schemes here, Matt, to, to kind of figure out um, how to do this. So we'll start with interior defensive line first. So I think that includes the Giants' 3-4 base guys, the three guys down. So I think that's kind of you know how you look at it. And then for the 4-3 teams, it's your two defensive tackles. So talking about interior defensive line, I do not like the Dallas Cowboys defensive tackles. They're fine, but they're nothing special. Malik Collins. Antoine Woods. Yeah, they're good fine, season last but year. whatever. Um, the Eagles, they got Timmy Jernigan in there, and they have Fletcher Cox in there. That is. Uh, Malik Jackson they brought and in, And Malik too. Jackson. So that's really, yeah, I... really, really, really good. Uh, the Redskins also. I mean, they have Jonathan <laughs> Allen, Deron Payne. Really and Matt really, Ionitis and Matt Ionitis is good. Too. And then the Giants obviously have their three young guys. So I'm confident to put Dallas last here with interior defensive line. Okay, on the group. well, and I'm confident to put Philly one with because of Fletcher Cox. I just I think they've got a number of options. And, no, I'm, and okay. I'm all and honestly, Washington deserves two. Uh, listen, you can tell me all you want about the Giants got some big guys. Those are proven commodities, much more so than what the Giants are throwing out, John. No argument. Okay, so I think that's, I, fair. that's how I would go. With the Eagles 1, Redskins 2, Giants 3, Cowboys 4. Edge rushers. Um, I think, boy, Philadelphia, again, they're not quite as deep in that position as they were before, but they still have Derek Barnett. They have Vinnie Curry. They have Brandon Graham, who's the big, you know, proven commodity out there. But they're not rolling Michael Bennett out there anymore. The Dallas Cowboys are rolling out there. Or Chris Long, too. Or Chris Long, right. The Cowboys have Demarcus Lawrence, who might be the best edge rusher in the division. Uh, then they added 
Robert uh, Quinn. Robert Quinn from Miami, who's a good player. Brandon Crawford's a solid defensive end. Tyron Crawford. End. Ty- I'm yeah, sorry. Tyron Tyron Crawford. Crawford. Yep. Solid defensive end that um, will rotate with those other two guys. And then we got to see if Randy Gregory makes his way back, too. Uh, the Giants, we've talked a million times about the Red Rushers and, and are the unknown factor with them. Then you look at Washington. They draft Montez Sweat. They have Ryan Kerrigan, who are... Who two. he may be one of the best ones, actually, in the division. Kerrigan's right with Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. There. So, But anyway... For me, I would put Dallas number one with the edge guys I'm with with, with Quinn and Lawrence, and then I think you're looking at the Giants because they have so many unproven commodities. I think they have to be last in this category. Yeah, because you don't know what what you're going to get. And again, it's the land if, of the unknown. If Golden does really well, or Carr does really well, or Zimmerman does really well, then it, it's a different conversation, right? Eagles and Redskins are tough though. I'd put Eagles at two. Okay, because I, got, I, I mean, when, when you go through some of those names, John, I mean Brandon Graham. As great as Ryan Kerrigan is, Montez Sweat hasn't played one game. So, you know, before I start crowning their edge rushers, I want to see what Sweat is going to bring to the table. And then they had the Marquise Flowers and, you know, Ryan Anderson. These aren't marquee. Yeah, they lost Preston Smith. Right. That was their big loss in the offseason. I'm with you. Okay. I think that's fair. All right. Now let's go to linebacker position. Uh, I well, think I think we know which teams won. Yeah, Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch. I mean, <laughs> Sean Lee. Sean, I mean, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you can't you can't, yeah. can't can't go wrong with that. Um, and again, since we're counting Ryan Kerrigan as edge rusher, we're looking at their middle linebackers, which is for the Redskins, with his John Bostic right now, who is projected to be one of the starters, Bear. and then Sean Dion Hamilton as the other one. Another uh, Alabama guy. They lost Zach Brown in the offseason, went to Philadelphia who's an improvement for them. And they so, just cut Mason Foster, by the way. They the did. Redskins, Another the guy. team of tackles. So you have Brown, Bradham, Griger, Hill, for and Paul Werlow for the Eagles. And then for the Giants, obviously we know you have Ogletree, B.J. Goodson, Tay Davis. So I would go myself, Eagles two here, Giants three, and Redskins last. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Nigel Bradham and Zach Brown... I think there's question marks for the Eagles at linebacker, John, but you got experience there. Bradham's been up there in terms of the question, high-end tackles. The question is, if, if you really like Ogletree better than those two individuals, does that pump the Giants up over Philadelphia linebacker? We were talking about the linebackers earlier. I mean, B.J. Goodson, he's not that much of a proven commodity. Right. Tay Davis is a young player, John. I, I still would give the Eagles the edge under okay. those circumstances. Now let's go to cornerbacks, and I think this is another interesting position. The Eagles have struggled there over the years, but they do have some numbers there if they can stay healthy. Uh, Jalen Mills, Rasul Douglas, a couple of young guys they like. Avante Maddox, another guy in that category. Ronald Darby coming off injury is the veteran in that group. You go to the Washington Redskins at cornerback. Obviously, we know they have Josh Norman there. Fabian Moreau is someone that stepped up last year. Dominic Rogers Camardi back for them. And then Greg Stroman. Jimmy Moreland was a draft pick out of Boise State, if I remember right, is somebody that a lot of people really, really like. Uh, Dallas, they have some good names there too. Byron yep. Jones, Chidobe Awuzie, Anthony Brown, Jordan Lewis, who was a second-round pick, is a backup there. And then, of course, you have the Giants with Janoris Jenkins and all the young guys. I think Dallas should go one. Uh, the core is coming back. It was a strong secondary last year for the most part. Philadelphia, the injuries is a concern because you got so many guys returning from injuries. But once again, if we're going based on the proven personnel department combined with productivity, 
how do you put the Giants ahead of any of these teams, John? Because the Giants, as I just mentioned, they're relying on a lot of youth. Although we're considering safeties, correct? In this? No, safeties is in this not. category. Okay, so mm-hmm. we're just considering corners. Yep. Yeah, so that's more of a reason. I mean, the Giants have the most unproven commodities. So I don't understand how we could put them even ahead of a team like the Redskins, who, you know, at least you're throwing out Josh Norman. You know, you got Greg Stroman. See, I feel better about the Redskins than I do the Eagles. Because, see, with the— Is At least you know you have Norman there. And he always plays. He's never hurt. Darby is not a terrible Yeah, but he was option. banged up a lot no, the He last was banged years. up, and I get that. It's cl- This is very close because all three of these teams behind Dallas, I could point to— I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. If you want to give Janoris Jenkins, by the way, an edge over... Ah, I think Jenkins is the best player out of all Okay, of them. so that, then then if so, that's the case... So how about we split the baby? What if we just give him all twos? And an even across the yeah, board? we can do that. I mean, I can live with that. I, I still, once again, despite the injuries, I put the Eagles ahead of the Redskins and the Giants. Okay. But I can live with an even two across the board if you figure that that's a fair way to split. Let's go two across the board. Safeties. This is where I think the Giants might be near the top of the list yeah. here. With, with, yeah. with Jabril Peppers and, and Antoine Bethea, I think it's a very strong group. Um, the Redskins are rolling out Landon Collins and then DeShazer Everett, who, you know, who knows what he's going to give you. Uh, the Cowboys, Xavier Woods and Jeff Heath, not big names there. The Eagles, they have Malcolm Jenkins and, and Rodney McLeod, which are two guys, which if they're really healthy, nice I mean, yeah. I think you're looking at them and the Giants here in terms of one and two in this group. It's close, given the fact that Jabril Peppers is new to the defense and those two guys are returning. And Malcolm Jenkins has held up. He's been much more no, durable he's, he's a really good player. than Rodney McLeod. I would put Eagles one, i put Giants two. I think Antoine Bethea is a very nice addition and a great deal of veteran experience. And then it becomes a matter of Cowboys versus Redskins. I'd probably lean, despite the fact that they had Atlanta Collins, I'd lean towards Dallas's three and Washington four. That's where I would go with that because I know Jeff Heath is not a big name John but I mean Jeff Heath's been there yeah but Landon Collins is, is by far well, the best player of those two groups but the question is does Everett's presence sort of bring Washington down a little bit more no, whereas Dallas stays that Dallas may not have the best player but Dallas has enough balance between both of those guys wanna, I guess that's how I'm looking do at do you want to split the baby on let's this split it. let's split it like okay. we did with the corner alright special teams final category and then we'll total and then we'll say goodbye I know Matt's got to get up there and, 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 and get some work done we're, we're, we're nearly done here uh, Giants two excellent players and kicker last year in in Rosas yeah um, Pro Bowl year yeah absolutely uh, you go to the Cowboys questions at, at, at kicker with Marr um, Chris Jones the punter the Eagles, obviously, Josh Elliott. We saw Jake Elliott. We saw what he did last year with the long field goal against the Giants. Uh, they're rolling out there. Cameron Johnson, a punter, and then you have the Redskins, who have uh, Tressway, who's been there for a while as their punter, and, and Dustin Hopkins as as their place kicker. You love talking about special teams. So I, I I will yield to you <laughs> here. Yield to yes. me. Wow. I think Rosas might be the best field goal kicker of the group. I think Rosas is the best field goal kicker, especially with the season that he's coming off of. And I think the Giants have probably more options in the return game I think that, than that's maybe everybody else. I, I don't think it's crazy to put the Giants one okay, I'm in with this you. department. I'm with you on I, that. I think that's fair. Uh, in terms of number two, I would probably lean towards... I'd probably lean towards Philly. And the reason why I would lean towards Philly is because of Deshaun Jackson's return and what he brings to the table. 
though Washington has a lot of experience in terms of the punting department. If you wanted to go even Washington-Philly, I could live with that okay. and putting Dallas last in that department. All I right. think that may be the best way to uh, sum up the special teams. Okay, so, terms de- of the so defense, we came out with 5-7-10. for the Giants. For the Redskins, with 5-6. Uh, 10-12 for the Redskins. Eagles came out again, 18 and a half. Shows you how talented that roster is. Nucleus coming back. Absolutely. Cowboys came out at 15 and a half, second on defense. So you come out, and it comes out the order you think it'd come out of, talking before the season started. So that's how it goes, and yeah. we'll see what happens. A great way to start training camp, folks. Absolutely. Let's wrap up the program. We appreciate you being with us. Again, just a reminder, we're back at 1 o'clock over the course of the rest of training camp, special time for Big Blue Kickoff Live. And a reminder, too, that tomorrow on MSG starting at 10 a.m., we're having our hits on the hour as we get ready for the first Giants training camp practice, and then the live show on MSG at 4.30. Make sure you check it out on MSG Network. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a good one. Have a good one.